Hello, everyone, and welcome to this webinar today. I'm Francis Celia from Global Net 21 and from a local group, Enfield Voices. And this is one of the many webinars that we do. And today we're going to talk to Sam Bensley Toon. Now, he's from Thames 21, and Thames 21 is concerned with rivers and waterways and the importance of them to our environment, but also in a time of climate change, the importance that they have to climate change mitigation and adaptability. And that's really, really important. So Sam, thank you for joining us today. And it's great to, to have you here. Can I ask you, first of all, if you could very briefly just tell us something about yourself and your work at Thames 21? Yeah, so my role at Thames 21 is engagement manager. So I'm leading on the, the community engagement aspects of various projects across London and, and the wider Thames Basin. Um, and the main projects I work on, which is three days a week, is the uh, Restoring Enfield's Rivers project, uh, which is working closely with Enfield Council on a project to restore the rivers of Enfield. Okay, we'll, we'll talk a bit about that in a minute. But um, yeah. you say on your website, Thames 21 is the voice of London's waterways, working with communities to improve rivers and canals for people and wildlife. How do you do that? Well, so we've got, we've got a whole variety of different projects um, working on the Thames itself and on the tributaries of the Thames. Um, and those projects look at um, things like plastic pollution in, in the waterways. Um, they look at also flood risk, water quality, um, biodiversity, ways that we can improve and restore rivers and make them wilder. And all those projects um, are collaborative projects that work with local people to empower them to take action to improve their local rivers um, to gather data about rivers and how that, um, that can then be used um, to advocate um, better for uh, and to improve rivers. Well, um, yeah, I was going to say to, to do that, you can't do it with paid staff, can you? You depend on volunteers. You've got something, I think, like 7,000 volunteers, which is a lot of volunteers. How do you go about finding those volunteers? Um, a variety of different ways. Um, so, I mean, we put up posters on, on sites that we're working in. We use social media. Um, we have our website, which lots of people check up on and, and find volunteer opportunities via that. Um, we're also doing work at the moment to um, make sure that the, that the people that we work with, the people that participate in our activities are representative of the communities that we're working in. So we do um, more targeted outreach to different community groups and working with different community leaders um, to make sure we're, we're working with um, yeah, the whole, the whole um, range of people that, that live in the areas that we're working. So when you do that, you're not just working with local authorities, are you? You're working with communities as well. Yeah, so a lot of our work is, is closely partnered with local authorities. But we, are, we, we, we make sure that we're working with all different local stakeholders, including local community groups, like friends of groups. Um, and yeah, we also work, with, we also collaborate with other NGOs. Um, so London Wildlife Trust, for example, um, yeah, all the work we do is, is, is in partnership with, uh, with various organisations and local community. 
Yeah, I gather TEMS 21 is a sort of amalgamation of partnerships. That's how it grew mm. up in the first place. Tell us why you think waterways are so important to people. Um, I think I think people are, are, are really drawn to waterways. Um, I mean, I guess as a function of, of um, our sort of deep evolutionary history and our connection and reliance on waterways for food and for obviously water, um, and I think that's that's sort of hardwired into us to to find waterways attractive to want we're, we're drawn to them we want to go and be near them and experience them um, and I think although nowadays you know we rely on them in a less direct way we get our food and from from the supermarket and we get our water from the tap we're still incredibly re reliant on, on waterways and water systems um, and the ecosystem services that they provide. Um, so um, I think waterways, yeah. The other the other thing about waterways is, is the um, the impact they can have on our well-being. So there's lots of evidence to, to show that um, green spaces are incredibly important for health and well-being. But there's also evidence to show that blue green spaces, so spaces that have water and terrestrial green habitats, are even better at um, at boosting well-being and health. Um, okay, so that I think everyone would agree with that, that they're really important for well-being. Now you have a number of projects going on ac across London. How do you start when you develop a project? Where does the initiative come from in the first place? I think that can be a whole, a whole variety of different ways. Um, so it talks about how lots of our projects are working in partnership with different organizations. Um, so sometimes, a local authority might approach us um, and um, you know uh, instigate a collaboration uh, where like Thames 21 is is um is has a long history of working with communities so we're we're sort of we're often called upon by local authorities to help with that aspect of projects um, so to help on a, on a project that the local authority is sort of leading on um, then other projects might be more led by Thames 21. Um, and yeah, we, our senior management team is looking strategically across the whole of London and sort of identifying different projects. Um, and then other other staff members within Thames 21 can, can um, suggest new projects. Um, okay, yeah, so there's, there's a whole different range of, of ways that projects can be instigated. Okay, so take one in Enfield itself. I mean, you are enrolled in the restoration of the Beaver project, which is quite a unique and interesting project. How did that come about? So that's one of the ones that um, was really led by the local authorities. So that's a project being led by the Enfield Watercourses team. Um, and yeah, um, so we've been sort of brought in to, ha to help that project and to help with the community engagement aspects of that project, but it's really being pushed forward by Enfield Council. And they're the ones that have an application in with, with Natural England to release the beavers. Um, and they're also working in collaboration with Cape Manor College on that project. Um, but yeah, to, to the credit of the water engineers in the Enfield Watercourses team, they've sort of recognised that the best water engineers are beavers. So they're sort of handing over some of their responsibility to the beavers. 
Yes, I, I had a sort of, by marriage, a Canadian uncle who used to hate beavers because it dams up all his, <laughs> all his waterways. But you're right, I mean, that they are the best engineers. Um, you also have um, a restoration project, don't you, in Enfield Chase. Tell us about that. Um, so Enfield Chase was historically a big area of woodland. Going back to the 12th century, woodland would have spread all the way from Enfield Chase down to the city of London. Um, and now obviously that's been highly developed and Enfield Chase itself is, is mainly a combination of arable and pasture land. Um, so Enfield Council again is pushing forward um, a, a, a huge woodland creation project. So it's the largest woodland creation project in London and Thames 21 are working closely with them to deliver that project. Um, so we're planting uh, 100,000 trees, we planted half of those already, and the remaining half will go in um, this season. And those trees are being planted along the banks of the Salmons Brook and also some in the catchment of the Turkey Brook. Um, and the aim there is that they'll intercept some of those flows of, of rainwater coming across the fields, uh, slow that way rainwater down, hopefully prevent flooding downstream as well as absorbing a lot of the um, pollutants that are coming off the agricultural fields, so the fertilizers and pesticides, um, intercepting those pollutants before they get into the water bodies. Um, and then there's, um, of course, a carbon sequestration element to that project as well. Um, so those trees over their lifetime will absorb um, a significant amount of carbon, which will contribute to Enfield's aims to be carbon neutral by 2030. Um, there's also a, a new path which is being created along um, the Salmons Brook there. Um, so it's, it's um, enhancing public land and, and creating um, routes for people to walk um, and yeah, access to nature. Okay, I mean, I mean, it is, it is a great project and in, in terms of flood alleviation, in terms of well-being, it really is important. But you mentioned about carbon capture offset, offsetting as part of a climate action plan and lots of local authorities now, you know, planting trees to offset against uh, carbon emissions. But there's a lot of scientific research coming out and it's coming out weekly saying it's not efficient, as people are saying. Some have said it's 20% efficient, some people have said it's 10% efficient, and there's no net effect, some scientists have said, in temperate areas. Now, is that something you have considered when you work with local authorities? Because if those things are true, it does badly affect their climate net zero plans? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, like you say, new evidence is coming through all the time. Um, and I think I think we also, we also have to consider what the land use was before the, the trees were going in um, and how that differs from woodland. Um, so a lot of the areas being planted were, were, um, were arable cropland which is um, going to have very low carbon storage as a, as a habitat type. So by planting woodland, there's definitely going to be an increase in carbon capture there. Um, I think you're right, though. I think tree planting isn't the sort of golden bullet in terms of um, climate adaptation or climate mitigation. Um, and I think we're, it's about restoring all of our lost habitats. So 
that includes meadow and grassland and particularly wetlands which have this magical capacity to continue to absorb carbon um, almost indefinitely it's particularly things like peatlands um, and obviously not relevant in Enfield Chase but um, salt marsh they have these very very deep carbon rich sediments that are added to year on year um, so whereas a, a woodland would only absorb carbon over the first sort of 100 years of its of its life and then it would go from being a carbon sink to a carbon store so it's actually releasing as much carbon as it's taking in um, wetlands differ in that they can continue indefinitely to to, to um, absorb carbon so creating rivers that are, that are sort of intimately connected to their floodplain um, that have um, um, wetlands that they're connected to um, is a really important part of both climate adaptation, um, meaning that rivers are resilient to the effects of climate change, less likely to suffer from flooding and from low flows during drought, um, but also for climate mitigation. So those wetlands actually able to lock lock up a lot of carbon as well. Well, I guess if it, if it's part of climate mitigation and it's a part of a climate action plan for any local authority, it's poor, it's important to be able to quantify the exact effect of that offsetting because if you don't, you can't really have a plan, can you? No, I mean, but I suppose these these systems are, are dynamic systems, and it's it's predictions can be made, but. Um, it's, I suppose it's very difficult to accurately measure or predict what, how much carbon is being sequestered by different habitats, um, but which of course makes it tricky if you're, if you're using that data to sort of offset carbon emissions elsewhere. Um, I mean, ultimately we have to produce less emissions as well as doing, as well as um, you know, these, these nature-based solutions which help sequester carbon. Yeah, I remember James Hanley, the great climatologist, said, climatologist said that, uh, you know, offsetting should be not an alternative to reduce emissions, but complementary to it, which is exactly. probably important. You, you mentioned, you know, the importance of wetlands as well, and, and that is really important, both in terms of mitigation and adaption. And you have a project in Pims Park there, don't you? Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, so the... Um... The wetland in Pims Park went in a few years ago. I can't remember the top of my head exactly when that wetland went in. I think it's been there for about five years. Um, and what's happened there is the, that the surface water is diverted from an underground sewer um, to the daylight. So it's, it's, it, the water goes into a, um, a series of wetland cells um, that are densely vegetated and the water flows slowly through that vegetation. Um, and as it flows through there, it, uh, a lot of the pollution um, in the water is filtered out. Um, so the sources of pollution there are um, from sewage misconnections from people's houses where uh, their appliances are misconnected into the surface water sewer system. Um, also from road runoff. Um, and so actually, sadly, we've had some incidents where there's been um, vehicle oil um, getting into the surface water sewer there um, and finding its way into the lake. Um, but we hope that by intercepting that oil 
with this with this wetland um it can it can reduce the impact of it in the wet in the, in the lake but of course we also need to find this, this ultimate source of that um pollution um so yeah the, the, the wetlands are the wetlands function there to improve water quality and also to um to store water to reduce flood risk downstream and they and they create um a really beautiful space that you can go and visit and it's, it's teeming with with wildlife there's amphibians spawning there there's lots of dragonflies and water birds yeah um, i mean the, the, the development of wetlands is something that's beginning to happen right across london isn't it in mm. order to create a sustainable drainage solution um you must be really pleased that local parties right across london and the uk are really getting into the understanding the importance of wetlands yeah it's great to see and it's it's great to see a kind of a move away from sort of traditional flood um, solutions which are about you know increasing capacity of rivers artificially um and increasing conveyance so making sure rivers were sort of very straight and um the water just gets very quickly taken away um there's a there's a real move now towards more na nature-based solutions but it's about slowing the flow of water and about holding onto water and about connecting rivers to their floodplains in in these wetlands which which hold on to water and purify water and create habitat um and yeah it's really good to see that shift um and, and we are seeing that across the whole of lots of authorities local authorities putting in some of these features yeah i mean it's interesting interesting you say you know people are looking into more nature-based solutions like rewilding instead of planting and so on is that a movement that's developing quite fast in your opinion i think so yeah um i think there's really really positive movements in that direction um i mean <laughs> yeah with with you know high profile politicians talking about reintroducing beavers and and rewilding is a term that you hear more and more i think that's really positive um whether it's happening fast enough of course it's a different question but um i think there's there's definitely a move in the right direction you you also provide a lot of support don't you to the local authorities and community groups and you have a community modeling project to empower communities to protect their local rivers how does that work yeah, so that was a project um, um, in the in the in the Lee, River Lee catchment, um, which really was working with, or or at least this was one of the community modeling projects that we at Thames Twenty One worked on, um, and it was really about empowering communities to um, gather data and to identify places where nature-based solutions could be taken forward, um, and yeah, the advantage of community modeling. Is that you're capturing lots of data, um, lots of lots of local knowledge, um, and kind of synthesizing that with technical knowledge um, to create a much better picture of what's going on in the catchment, um, and to really get the most out of these nature-based solutions, um, and ensure that that um, that local people are are have a sense of ownership with them as well. You also, I mean, you, you don't just develop projects, do you? You also have a sort of education arm. You work with schools and you provide sort of, you know, information and learning modules and, and ways to do things, don't you? 
yeah yeah we do we do a fair amount of work with schools across london um and with young people and of course you know the young people of the future so um inspiring them um and educating them and, and raising awareness amongst young people about these issues is incredibly important but one of the ways you do that i gather is through um, a citizen science project, particularly around plastic monitoring. That's quite interesting because I know young people like to be involved in that. Tell us about that and how that works. Yes, we have a number of different citizen science projects on the go, um, looking at different aspects of, of river health, water quality, um, through the Riverfly monitoring um, project. Um, and I think the project yeah, you're referencing is um, Thames River Watch which is, um, or at least that's one of the plastic monitoring projects we're working on, on the Thames. And that's really about both removing litter from the foreshore, but also analysing what litter is there and looking at the sources of that litter. Um, and, and through that, um, working on ways to address the source of those litter. So one of the key, key things there um, that we're finding is the, the significant of amount of wet wipes on the foreshore of the Thames. Um, there's there's regions along the foreshore that are, the substrate is is literally made out of wet wipes. It's sort of a deep layer of wet wipes. Um, and those, those kind of um, they get collected in certain areas um, because of the way that the the water flows. Um, so yeah, we're working on the campaign at the moment. Um, in collaboration with MP Fleur Anderson um, to reduce or, or remove plastic from, from wet wipes um, as, as, part of, as part of a kind of strategy to reduce the amount of wet wipe pollution coming into waterways. Okay, so, I mean, that's, that's interesting as well because involving young people like that is really important. So you develop projects and partnerships, you have an educational arm, but you also have an advocacy arm, don't you? Mm -hmm. I mean, is that something that you advocate ideas and pressure to government and local government? Is that the aim of your advocacy art? Yes, certainly. Um, yeah, I think the work, the work with Fleur Anderson, um, where she's been pushing forward this bill to, to, to um, ban the use of plastics in wet wipes, that's been a really good example of that, where we've been able to sort of provide evidence to support that bill and also to, um, yeah, just provide provide relevant information that, that is able to shape that bill. Um, so yeah, I think advocacy is a really important part of, of the work that Times 21 does. Uh, and we also, we, we recognise that advocacy happens, has to happen at all different levels. So it's also about empowering local people to come, become advocates for their local river um, in a very local sense as well as these more, more national campaigns. Okay. Um, you don't have an all-party parliamentary group set up, do you, which you service, which many, many organisations do. I mean, that's quite a good way of actually working with parliament. Um, no, we don't have that, but that's an interesting idea. Um, it's quite... It's quite a way, it's quite an easy way to do that. If you find an MP who would chair it, then usually you find other people and, and that's a way of then getting MPs to sort of talk about that issue more and more. But let's go on to another topic. I mean, we're, we're into the 
you know, the middle of COP26 at the moment, and the impact of climate change is on all our minds. Now, is a part of what you do, a part of a climate change strategy as well? Um, yes. Um, well, we, we, we recently created a COP26 manifesto for Thames 21, which sort of brings our work into the context of um, global efforts to mitigate and adapt to climate change. Um, so, I mean, in that we, we recognise that the vital importance of rivers, um, to, both in terms of adaptation and mitigation. Um, and um, we're yeah, calling for swift, decisive and global action on rivers, um, that sh and we, we think that should be a priority as part of the effort to, to fight climate change. So do you, I mean, sorry, you go on. No, you go on. All right. I mean, so, I mean, do you help local authorities develop their climate change plans? Would you go into, for example, did Enfield invite you in and, and when they develop their plan, ask you for your advice? Um, I'm not sure if we've played that role in Enfield. Um, I think that the Enfield watercourses team are, um, you know, have a lot of expertise in terms of in terms of um, thinking about like hydrological dynamics, um, so so yeah, I'm not sure uh, in terms of sort of working with local authorities to create their their plans, um, but we're certainly involved in a lot of the the, the practical activities that are um, that are, you know that relate to rivers in terms of those plans. So you're more likely to be involved in the implementation rather than the formation. I mean, would you welcome being involved in the formation with some local authorities where you go in and give advice where they actually have gaps in their knowledge? Yeah, certainly. I think um, that's certainly a role that we could play as an organisation, you know, particularly when it comes to wetlands and, and rivers. And with our with our expertise there, I mean a lot of a lot of the work that we do um, follows the catchment based approach, um, where there are different um, local catchment plans, um, and we we um, chair some of those um, those local catchment plans. So we sort of coordinate a lot of the action between the local authority and different organisations when it comes to rivers and wetlands. Okay, um, obviously to do what you do and you do it really well and you, you obviously got a great success rate. Um, you, you work in partnerships, don't you? You can't do it alone. How do you develop these partnerships and would you welcome more? Um, yeah, certainly we're, we're always looking for, for new um, opportunities for partnership and collaboration. Um, and you know several in development at the moment um so yeah we're working with with various local authorities on on new projects in the pipeline um and yeah like i said there's this it's really really heartening to see the, the sort of the wide range of actions being taken in london particularly around nature-based solutions addressing flooding and things so there's always new projects coming forward and, and, and um, 
new partners to collaborate with. Do you also, in your partnership, work with companies who want to be involved in environmental sustainability? Yeah, yeah, we have, um, we, we do work with, with private companies as well. Um, so there's um, the um, Plastic Free Mersey project, which is actually a project that's taking place outside of the, the Thames catchment um, up, in, up in Manchester. And that's working with um, several plastic producing companies um, and looking at ways to reduce plastic waste and reduce the input of plastic waste into rivers specifically. Um, we are, we also have a, yeah, a corporate partnership um, program where we, um, where we basically use um, corporate volunteers to, to carry out river action um, and improve habitats and rivers. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, as an organization, we recognize that, you know, efficient partnerships with both local authorities and, and national government and other NGOs, but also private companies is going to, is, is really important in terms of, you know. So, so, working creating... with you, so working with you for a company is part of their corporate social responsibility, is it? Uh, that's, so the, the corporate, uh, corporate volunteering function in that way, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought you, you referred to the, the corporate volunteering as part of that, and that's that's quite interesting that you do that. I didn't know that. And here, look, we've come closely to the end of the 30 minutes, and it always goes fairly quickly when we do these interviews. So, you know, if people were interested in what you do, and they should be because you do so much and, and it's so valuable, if they were interested in what you do, how would they make contact with you, and where would they go to find out more? Well, if you're interested in the Enfield project, um, you can have a look on our webpage. Um, so if you Google restoring Enfield's rivers, it will come up. Um, you can also email us at Enfield underscore rivers at Thames21.org.uk. Um, and yeah, you can have a look on on our website, we also have a what's on page. So there's all sorts of events um, coming up, which you can um, click on and, and um, reserve a space on. Um, so yeah, I, I think the, the website is, is probably the best point of contact for us there. Do you have a Facebook page? We do have a Facebook page for the Restoring Enfield's Rivers project, um, which you can, you can find by Googling, I guess, Restoring Enfield's Rivers on, on, uh, and Facebook. Um, and we also have a, a Thames 21 Facebook page as well for the whole organization. Okay, that, okay, well, you know, that's great uh, that you've given us some information because people can now go and find out more about what you do. I mean, thank you, um, you know, for doing this interview, Sam, because I think, you know, especially now in a time of climate change, the whole idea of, of working with nature, of rewilding, of actually looking at how we can create places that increase, create well-being. So look at how we can deal with climate change adaptability, especially, um, is really important. And obviously you're in the front line of that and you're working in partnerships with a lot of people and with a lot of organizations, and that's good. So, you know, I think it's been valuable to 
listen to what you do, to hear what you have to say. And I hope people will, you know, look at your site and those people who are interested in being involved with you, either as partners or as volunteers, will get in touch with you. So, you know, thank you for doing it. Thank you for what you've told us today, because it's been really interesting. So thanks, Sam. And uh, we'll end this interview now. <laughs>